You're listening to the Ready for Departure podcast, written and presented by Microlight student pilot Steve Middleton. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 12 of the Ready for Departure podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since I last recorded a podcast and this week's episode might go some way to explaining why. Regular listeners will know that I've been nearing qualification of the MPPL private pilot's license for some time now. I've been learning to fly in a Eurostar EV97, which is a fixed-wing microlight which my flying school operates from a grass airfield, Barton. Microlight flying is a perfect fit for me. I'm not a big guy, so it's not a difficult squeeze for me to get inside the EV97, and it's significantly cheaper than flying a Cessna or a Piper. I've always wanted to learn to fly. I harboured a short-lived wish to fly fast jets for the RAF when I was in school, but a lack of the required number of O-levels put pay to that idea. In fact, I nearly took up PPL lessons about 20 years ago before I got married and bought a house. An expensive mortgage and a honeymoon soon got in the way and that was that, for two decades. Microlight flying does have its downsides though. There are only two seaters for a start, so it's going to be some time before I work my way through the list of family and friends who volunteered to keep me company on my flights. The main downside though will be its actual weight. With a weight limit, or all up weight, of 450 kilograms, the EV97s I fly can't take two heavy people, lots of fuel, any luggage or any combination of that, and strong winds are a definite no-no. I've cancelled countless lessons and solo flights because of high winds. The other frustrating part of my NPPL journey has been that due to operating from City Airport Manchester Barton, which as I mentioned earlier has all grass runways, they're often flooded when there has been heavy rain. So while the times I got airborne during the last 22 months have definitely been huge amounts of fun for me, there's been equal amounts of frustration and impatience on my part. Piloting an aircraft is something that I had only dreamed about before. It's a huge privilege to be able to take command of the EV-97, and massively fun. It's also been hard work, and I don't just mean the exams. Each time I thought I had this flying lark in the bag, my instructors threw something new at me. Navigation and operating at minimums I remember being particular challenges that made me doubt whether I could actually do this. Without the support of my wife Kat, there is absolutely no way I could have completed my training. Notwithstanding the large drain on our joint fancies for the best part of two years, Kat has been an absolute rock. She came to watch me conduct my circuit work during my early lessons, recording them so I would have a record of my achievements. First takeoff, first landing, first touch and go. Cat videoed them all and was often seen shivering up the tower at Barton telling anyone who would listen what I was doing. Cat had to suffer through my excited storytelling as I rushed home from a lesson to tell her how fabulous it was and how much of her money I had spent enjoying myself. Conversely, she also had to suffer my moods when the lesson didn't go right or I got something wrong. And then she had to endure my impatience and frustration as lesson after lesson was cancelled due to rain, the flooding caused by previous rain, poor visibility on otherwise sunny days, windy days, and my destination being closed. I lost count how many times I cancelled my qualifying cross-country flights for one reason or another, and Kat listened, comforted, and told me I would complete my training. And she was right. Yesterday I did. I couldn't have done it without the support of Kat. She's encouraged me every step of the way when I doubted myself and my abilities. So yesterday morning, with Kat's good luck wishes ringing in my ears, I drove down to a foggy barton to complete my final qualifying cross-country flight to sleep in Shropshire. Did I mention it was foggy yesterday morning? By 9am it hadn't cleared sufficiently, so it was another cancelled lesson and another aborted attempt to complete the final flight of my NPPL training. Fortunately, there was an aircraft and slot free in the afternoon, so I took the slot and drove back home with my tail between my legs. Cat was there to keep me positive and after a quick snooze it was back to Barton for another look at the conditions. The fog was gone, cloud base was sufficiently high and there was no wind. My calculations checked out and I gave Slape a call to tell them I was on my way. Typically it couldn't be straightforward, could it? 
The No Thames had already informed me about the Hot Air Balloon Festival where I could look forward to sharing the Sair airspace with up to 50 hot air balloons and the aerobatic training taking place within the Slape ATZ. No overhead joins today please, join downwind for runway 23. Okay, this was to be expected, completely different runway and approach to the way I did it last time I was at Slate with my instructor. Also, it had been almost two weeks since I flew to Slate, which coincidentally, the last time I climbed into a microlight. I prefer to fly at least every two weeks if I can. I find that I start to forget things if it's any longer and yesterday was no different. Not once did I remember to prefix my call sign with student yesterday and as I headed out of the circuit towards the Manchester low level route corridor, I wondered how much of the route I would remember from last time. I struggled to spot Warrington Airfield on the way out, but Thelwall Viaduct is really easy to see, so I had a good visual reference to my first leg, and the virtually non-existent wind at 1,100 feet meant that drift was at a minimum. Holding an accurate course and altitude is vital within the low-level corridor, since it's only about 5 miles wide, and my planned altitude was only 200 feet below controlled airspace. Anyway, with constant monitoring of my map and timer, as well as a good look outside, I managed to navigate the entire length of the low-level route without wandering into controlled airspace. Initially I couldn't see Ashcroft Farm Airfield which was my next waypoint, but it soon came into view and I passed over it at a thousand feet, close enough for me to see the no lack sign painted on the roof of one of the buildings. So now I was out of the low level route, I climbed up higher, reset my clock and got myself on a new heading for Malpas. Malpas? Yep, you may have never heard of Malpas, but this village on the border of Cheshire and Shropshire, which dates back to Roman times, is very recognisable from the air, with its distinctive service reservoir which looks like a huge trampoline. From Malpas, give or take a couple of degrees, it's almost directly due south to Slape. I was feeling pretty good by this point, I'd safely navigated the low level route and found four of my waypoints with little drama, so I set the transponder to 7000 and changed to Slape's frequency on the radio. Damn it was busy, and I was already later than I'd estimated. The runway and circuit direction hadn't changed, it was still runway 23 and still a left hand circuit. The thing was, how do I get to the right place to join downwind, without hitting anything in the circuit or on the climb out? No instructor to ask for advice now, it was all down to me. I decided to go and loop around the edge of the ATZ at 1,500 feet, and just as I was establishing on downwind, got to 1,000 feet. Only one aircraft passed me on the way into the ATZ, so I think I made a decent decision with my approach to the airfield. Downwind checks completed, I watched the Cessna on the runway roll out and take off. The runway was mine if I wanted it. Initially I thought my circuit might have been too tight, but there's a displaced threshold on runway 23 at Slape, so I wasn't as close as I first feared, and found myself established on final, with all three stages of flap, and a clear runway ahead. This might be a go around I said to myself. I managed to record the journey from Barton to Slate with full ATC audio, so I must go back and check if I actually said it out loud or just in my head. Anyway, after some decidedly dodgy landings on some of my recent flights, I've decided I need to say that to myself on every approach, just to remind myself that I can decide whether to land or not. The landing is optional. As part of the qualifying cross country, I have to get a form signed by the guys in the tower. They wrote excellent in the box that describes the landing. Excellent? Okay, I'll take that. I only got satisfactory on my Blackpool landing. I would also have accepted satisfactory this time though. Anyway, the landing was pretty good if I do say so myself. No bounce and I kept it more or less straight down the middle of the runway. Eager to vacate, as Slate was so busy, I pulled off the active runway as soon as I could and even remembered to, to call to state that I had vacated, but completely forgot about my post landing checks. That meant I taxied onto the grass with my landing light still on and flaps still fully deployed. I didn't notice until I climbed out of the aircraft and noticed the flaps were fully down. Oops. After a short negotiation over payments with the guys in the office, 
it's only £10 for microlites, but you have to tell them it's a microlite, otherwise they charge you £15. I signed the visitor's book and then trotted off up to the tower to get my landing form signed. What a treat. As you'd expect, the tower gives a terrific view of the brilliant Slape airfield, and it was good to see it so busy. After a quick chat with the friendly people who run the airfield, it was time to walk back down to the aircraft for my flight home. I didn't get a chance to stop at the cafe, but I hear it's very good and I promised them that I would return very soon. For my return, I sat and watched a couple of arriving and departing aircraft to get a feel how I should slot in to the well-oiled system they have at Slape. It's an air-to-ground service, so no one is going to tell you what to do, but they are incredibly helpful. I followed the tail dragger out to the hold and waited while he backtracked and then rolled out for his takeoff. Once I felt he was suitably away, I announced my intention to get onto the runway and backtrack. Off I went. As I was backtracking, I could see another aircraft on final. He hadn't called. Then I would say at about 400 feet, he called final. To say I had a mild panic at that moment would be an understatement. I was just about to key the radio and repeat that I was backtracking and was thinking of which direction I should aim for to get out of the way should he actually land when the tower made the call and the aircraft eventually made a go around. Phew. Okay, time to get going. I didn't bother backtracking the whole length of the runway because I didn't need it and away I went. I even remembered that this time, because I was on Q&H and that Slape's elevation is 275 feet, not to retract the flaps until the altimeter had indicated about 600 feet, 300 feet above actual ground level. So, next task. I want to head due north. Helpfully, Slape has a runway, 36, which points north, so my plan is to use the runway heading as the start of my first return leg. The question is, what altitude should I fly over runway 36? The circuit height is 1000 feet, so it would be better to be higher than the circuit, but remember I was told to avoid the overhead due to aerobatic activity. I split the difference and depart at 1500 feet, just like my instructor has trained me at Barton. Once outside of the ATZ, I got myself up to 2000 feet. If I'm honest, the return journey was mostly uneventful. I found it easier to spot all those navigation features on the way back, probably because they were all fresh in my mind. Malpas seemed to take an age to arrive, but it was right where I expected it to be and only a minute more than my actual ETA. Ashcroft was found significantly easier this time. I had a slight panic as my fat fingers incorrectly keyed 7357 on the transponder and I had visions of Manchester Approach calling me up asking me about the code. I corrected it and entered a low level route at 1100 feet. I found it quite hard work to keep good compass discipline and noticed I wandered off my heading a few times, but I was pleased that I was keeping a good eye on it, so I didn't wander off course very much. The EV97's built-in GPS confirmed I was well away from the edge of the low-level route. Warrington Airfield is much easier to find when coming up from the south, although it's a bit of a cheat because you just look at Thelwall Viaduct, which is hard to miss, then look to the left. I squeezed in between the two, switched over to Barton on the radio and made a join call. Ready for my second error of the day? For some bizarre reason, as I approached Barton, I set myself up for a left-hand circuit for runway 26 left. The only time I've ever done a left-hand circuit for 26 left has been when practicing 500-foot circuits with an instructor. The FISO clearly told me it was a right-hand circuit. I even wrote it down on my kneeboard. I have no idea what I was doing. Anyway, I didn't descend, decided to fly over the airfield at 1,800 feet, turn around and do it properly with a right-hand circuit. And that was it. That was my final qualifying cross-country flight for my MPPL license. This is just the beginning for me. I still have so much to learn and I'm really looking forward to some more training flights in the Icarus C42 microlight, which my flying school operates as well. By the time I record the next podcast episode, I hope that I've had the chance to start my differences training in the C42. Due to holidays, that might be a couple of weeks away, weather permitting. 
And that's it for this episode of the Ready for Departure podcast. I hope you found this topic interesting. How far into your training are you? Do let me know via email, Twitter or Facebook. Details are on the website. Safe flying and do join me for the next episode. See you next time. Don't forget, if you want to participate in future episodes of this podcast, please get in touch and it would be great to hear the views of other students, fully qualified pilots or even instructors. Thanks for listening to the Ready for Departure podcast. Music was by Josh Woodward and Chris Zabriskie. You can find out more and get in touch at readyfordeparture.uk.